Praise the Lord. We've been going through our series on the seven pillars of the church. The seven pillars of the church. And you can see them there up there. Whoop. Go back one, brother. Just go back on the slide. There we are. And you can see them right there on the screen for themselves. We've looked through the first week that the church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord. We looked last week that the church is built upon the Word of God. Today we're going to look at the church is gospel proclaiming, and you could read the rest that we will be going through over the next few weeks, right? As I previously mentioned, these seven pillars is just seven truths. They're just seven truths that when I embarked to set out to do the church, I said we need to have some foundational things. And these are seven foundational truths. They're never intended to be exhaustive. It's never intended to be, hey, this is the complete thing of what the church is built on. Rather than it is just to be seven truths, seven foundational truths. We looked at the church is built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's built upon Him. He is the head of the church. Last week we looked at the church is built upon the Word of God. And you think, all right, those are two really good foundational truths. Two really solid foundational truths. And today we're going to look at the church's gospel proclaiming. It is gospel proclaiming. Now, I use those words very, very deliberately. It would have been very easy to say that the church is evangelical or evangelical. That would have been the easiest thing. But unfortunately, like many words today... To be an evangelical usually associates you with some kind of political party. And the church is not affiliated to a political party. The church is apolitical. It has no political affiliation other than the kingdom of God. That is our affiliation. So, I say that the church is gospel proclaiming. That's the mission of the church. We are here to proclaim the gospel. We're not here to change society. We're not here to be socially benefactors. We are here to proclaim the gospel. And if we're ever going to change society, it is going to be through the gospel that we change society. Not the other way around. Now on our website under this particular pillar, we say this. We believe that the Word of God teaches that true believers proclaim the gospel and are compelled by the love of Christ to share their faith. We believe it is our responsibility not simply to witness, and I put that in quotes, but to make disciples for Christ. Hence, we are gospel proclaiming as a result of the work that Christ has done in our lives. And I want you to listen to this last point that we list. This is not a burden, but a privilege that Christ gives to his believers. I want to emphasize that again. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a burden. 
It is a privilege. Do you realize that the Lord could have used the angels to fly back and forth from heaven declaring the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you realize that God could have created a super race of beings whose sole purpose was to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ? But instead, God has given the privilege to believers to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the church. That is the mission of every single believer. We, we are tasked to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by stating that the church is gospel proclaiming, we maintain that the role and the mission of the church is to fulfill the great commission, making disciples for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. You know how that plays out? That plays out here on Sunday mornings when we have Sunday school and we have morning worship. That plays out on Tuesday evenings when we have Bible study. That plays out on, on, on Wednesday when we have prayer meeting. That pray, plays out as it did this past Saturday when the women get together and have fellowship. That plays out when the men get together and have fellowship. That plays out when we're ministering one to another in various phone calls. And that plays out as we interact with people in our daily lives, sharing and pointing them to Jesus Christ. You know, one of the most amazing things about the, uh, about the Great Commission is, yes, we are to make disciples, but the results are up to God. And as I say time and time again, we will share that gospel and 99.9% .9 of people will reject that gospel. And you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have the ones that outwardly would reject and tell you, you're a nut, I refuse to believe, I'm not going to believe, than to have the ones that acquiesce and pretend to believe. Because a more fiery, consuming judgment lies ahead for those that have the knowledge of the gospel. Every believer is responsible for proclaiming the gospel. Now, listen, I want to I state right away, I'm not laying out for you some kind of heavy trip. It's not my intent for you to go home and feel all guilty and say, I better get a bunch of tracts and start handing them out to people. That's not. If you think that's the objective, man, you better throw that out because that's not the objective. What I am going to show you, I am going to show you from Scripture as the authoritative Word of God. But one thing is abundantly clear. It is every believer's responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in 2 Peter, chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Peter writes these words, which I think make it abundantly clear that this is the mission of the church. But you are a royal priesthood, he says, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you hear Peter's words? There's some things in here I think we need to pause. Of the church, he said, you're a royal priesthood. 
You're a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. Not that we possess Him, that God would possess us. That's what He's telling us here. And what do you do? What do you do? You proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Boy, there it is. How did you get saved? What happened to you? What was your former life? How is your new life in Christ? That's the ministry. All of you know how to tell that story if you are in Jesus Christ. All of you know how to say, I was walking one way, now I'm walking another way. You have been equipped through the person of the Holy Spirit. If you are born again, if you are saved, you have been equipped through the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. You're not asked to be a detailed theologian and explain all the mysteries of the Bible. But each and every one of us that are saved, that are born again, can say, let me tell you what God has done for me. And we do that as a church. We proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is the mission of the church. Paul states in 2 Corinthians 5.20, I love the way he puts it, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's the mission. We're ambassadors. What's an ambassador? Someone who resides in a foreign land who represents the interest of their remote government, of their foreign government. They don't represent themselves. The church is the foreign mission of the kingdom of God on earth. That's what the church is. We don't belong here. The believer in Jesus Christ represents the government of Jesus Christ, and believers are ambassadors. They are representatives for Christ. Believers in Jesus Christ, listen, we do not belong to this world. This is where we get tripped up. This is where we get tripped up. You know, it says of Israel, when they were carted off into Babylon in the Old Testament, and in the days of Ezra, in the days of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah said, listen, i got to go back to Jerusalem. i got to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It says, of many of the Jews didn't want to leave Babylon. They built their houses in Babylon. They were comfortable in Babylon. They didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. They didn't want to go back to the city of God. We get tripped up when we build ourselves here in Babylon. And then we don't understand, we don't understand why things of the fallen world affect us. Why we're all caught up. And so we, we, we get nervous. We look at the news and we go, oh, look at what's happening in Israel. Look what's happening with the economy. Oh, I hope this political party comes to power because they will make it all right. No, 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 no. Was not our Lord clear when our Lord said, in this world ye shall have tribulation? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
There isn't a candidate out there that has overcome the world. There isn't an army out there that has overcome the world. There isn't a government out there that hasn't overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world, and He has granted us, whether we live or die in this world, we have overcome the world. Don't put your trust in things. Don't put your trust. My goodness, if you put your trust in the United States government, you're insane. Because that government is going to let you down if it hasn't done so 10,000 times already. We have a government that's filled with liars. There's no truth in politics. My goodness, this is the only truth. This is why the church is built upon the Word of God. This is why the, the church has survived dictators and the church has survived brutal governments and the church has survived martyrs that have been killed, but the Word goes on and on and on and it is going to continue to go on until our glorious King and Savior, Jesus Christ, comes back for His church. Amen. That's my hope. And I pray that that's your hope as well. The Bible tells of Christians that we are strangers. We are aliens in a foreign land. And you know that? That plays out every single day. Every single day. You ever have that feeling you don't belong? You ever have that feeling why you can't get along with the world? You ever have that feeling why you're being singled out? Why you're being persecuted? Why people are mean? When friends turn against us and friends betray us? When the things of the world all go awry? It just reminds us more that we don't belong here. This is not our home. This is not our home. And so as aliens, as strangers as ambassadors for Christ, we declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we do. So the church proclaims Jesus Christ, and the church is gospel proclaiming. In today's message today, we're going to look at four truths. Four truths we're going to look at. The first one is what we started out with. The church is gospel proclaiming. Do we have a biblical mandate for that? And I'm going to show you that we most definitely do. The second one is, if we're proclaiming that gospel, well then the gospel calls for repentance. The gospel calls for repentance. The third one is, the gospel proclaims truth. The gospel proclaims truth. And the fifth one is, the gospel proclaims forgiveness of sin and new life. Those are the four truths we're going to look at. So let's look at the first one here. The gospel, the church is built upon proclaiming the gospel. And for our text, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus, at this point in the gospel, has already been resurrected. And now Jesus has some parting words for his disciples. You'll know this, you should recognize this, as the Great Commission. 
Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. So we begin here in what is known as the Great Commission. This is a commandment. This is a commandment of Jesus Christ to the church before His ascension to heaven. And here our Lord gives a straightforward command and a mandate to the church. And it begins with a command from the Lord. Go! What does go mean? Absolutely right, my brother Lewis. Go means go. The Lord begins with a command. Go. Believers are to proclaim and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and with that command comes some very straight form of very straightforward objectives and directives. So the Lord tells us where to go therefore. And what are the objectives that he's asking us to do? Number 1, make disciples. What is a disciple? Simply put, a disciple is a learner. It's someone who learns. It's not just taking the intellectual knowledge, but it's taking the intellectual knowledge and putting it into daily practice. The Lord calls us to make disciples, and He calls us to make disciples of all nations. We're to go out and take the gospel. Now listen, you might think to to make disciples of all nations, you got to do some jet hopping, but you don't. Look Look at our church. We have a diverse church people from different ethnicities, people from different races. We all come together as one in Jesus Christ. I could go out and make disciples of the nations by just going down the block and talking to different people about Jesus Christ. I have friends of every ethnicity, of every race, of every color that I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. So you don't have to go on a plane. You don't have to get on a boat. You don't have to You know, you don't have to go to those islands because those poor people don't know Jesus Christ. You know what? Your neighbor doesn't know Jesus Christ. You don't need to be going on fancy. I remember years ago in a church, you know, the end thing was, you know, the youth mission trip. And and one year, I was asked to chaperone that. And we went to another country. And we did everything except share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a travesty. The youth had a fun time. They went to some exotic place and they got to go away for a week and, you know, they do all the things that that young high school kids tend to do. But I left brokenhearted. I left saying, what did we accomplish with the gospel? We did nothing. Right? Hey, we're commanded by our Lord Jesus to go. To go. My brother Mike here in the Marine Corps, I know that when he commanded his men, do something, I don't think many of them stood around and said, nah, I'm not going to do it. 
<laughs> there would be a price to pay for that, right? Or when Mike got a command from one of his superior officers and said, do this. That was taken care of. The supreme commander gives us an order. Go. Go make disciples. We are to make Christ followers. We are to make believers. Again, it is the mission of the church. And that involves proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot make disciples for Christ if we do not proclaim the gospel of Christ. Not a modified gospel, not a simplistic gospel, the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, for our church, if you look at the logo on our church, right, we've chosen as a tagline Colossians 1.28. And I want to read to you what it says, Colossians 1.28. It says, we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's the objective. Why do we preach the Word? Why do we teach the Word? Why do we read the Word? Why do we sing the Word? So that everyone would be made complete in Christ. We admonish, we strongly encourage, we exhort you to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons why I get up here and I don't tell nice moral stories. And I don't pepper my preaching with a bunch of jokes. And I don't tell you how to become a better businessman and how you can become a better this or a better that. What do I do? I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that's going to make you a better businessman or a better husband or a better son or a better a mother or whatever the case may be. Amen. So the Lord commands us, go make disciples. He goes on to say this, you're to make disciples of all nations. And the Lord says the gospel will go into all nations so what is our responsibility if we cannot go in all nations well then we have a responsibility as the church to support the advancement of the gospel into all other areas back in march i had one of my friends come here dear brother from um matt hanover uh, from who's a missionary to cambodia he lives two and a half hours outside the capital of Phnom Penh. He is in a remote village, barely has running water. He has six children, all blonde hair, blue eyes. He said when he first got there with his children that the Cambodian people would touch their hair because they never saw blonde hair before. Isn't that amazing? He is out there. The next nearest missionary is an hour away by himself with his family with a burden to reach these Cambodian people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, FYI, burdens, they're not limited to pastors and missionaries. All of us should have a burden to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to do that. And one of the things we'll be undertaking shortly as a church is increasing our giving to missionaries. 
We want a furtherance of the gospel. We're able to reach the world through sermon audio, but we need more than that. We need just, we need people that are on the front lines. Look at my friend Pastor Julio. The loss he suffered by losing his son this past week. And yet he says, I have not given up in trusting in Christ. I continue to go forward. So the Lord tells us we're to make disciples, we're to make them of all nations. And he goes on to say that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The gospel we declare is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the triune God. Our gospel is about the three in one and the mighty one in three. And initially, God, as we mentioned previously in Sunday school, is revealed as, 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 as one compri- uh, 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 many comprising one, we are called to baptize, not in the names, but we are called to baptize in the name, singular, of God the Father, the Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And we're to do that, and not only, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the profession of faith. It doesn't end with the baptism. We are, as the Lord gives us, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The church mission is to teach believers in the commands of the Lord. Where are those commands? Contained in the Word of God. They're contained in the Word of God. We teach believers to study the Word of God. Please, don't go home and read your Bible. I mean, I, I would that you'd read your Bible, but I would pray that your mindset would be to study your Bible, to meditate and to contemplate upon the Word of God, and to have a command of the Word of God so that you will grow to be strong believers in Christ. When conflicts come into your life, when trials come into your life, what sustains you? You're not going to be sustained in and of your own strength because I'm a tough person, you know, I could really gut it out. What sustains you is the Word of God. As the Word of God ministers to you through the person of the Holy Spirit, as the Word of God convicts you of sin, as the Word of God encourages you, as the Word of God comes and reminds you that God is your strength, that gives you the joy of the Lord that the Word of God says shall be by strength. We are to make strong followers of Christ. And we do that here in this church by giving you the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. Just in case you have any other inclination, I'm not changing. (laughs) It's going to continue to be this. This is the church's ministry, and you and I are commanded, commanded to spread that gospel. And as we state in our seven pillars, particularly in this one, remember, it is not a burden, but rather, it is a privilege. The second truth that we want to share with you today is that this glorious gospel that we proclaim, this gospel calls 
for repentance. This gospel calls for repentance. In Acts chapter 2, turn there, verses 38 through 40. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 40. What is going on at this point in the chapter? Foot and mouth Peter has just preached by the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit probably the greatest sermon in the history of the church. And so powerful was the message that in verse 37, speaking of the audience that heard, verse 37 says this, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Oh my Lord, what I wouldn't give to preach a message that pierced the heart like that, that people would cry, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do? They're moved by the Spirit of God, a great convicting power has come over them. And notice how Peter responds. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent! If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, will you underline that or circle it or do whatever? Just that one word. Repent! And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. And with many other words He solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Now look. The gospel calls for repentance. The gospel calls for repentance. Peter did not call men and women to come and, and have a better life by adding Jesus to an already good life. Gee, Peter didn't say, hey, just say this prayer and be sincere if you say it. Peter didn't say, hey, accept Jesus into your heart. You know, all of that's non-biblical terminology, right? What did Peter say? Men of Israel, repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to God. What does repentance mean? The Greek word is metanoia. What, is, what does repentance mean? It means you, you, you're heading one way, you're heading south, and you turn around and you head north. You are walking towards sin and disobedience, and now you walk toward God it's a 180 it's a reversal you're heading east now you're heading west it's a complete 180 it's a turnaround and the first thing that Peter tells these convicted people is you need to repent you need to turn from your sin look what he says in verse let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Sin was the issue. 
What caused them to say, what must we do? What caused them to say that is they knew they were not in right standing with God. What was the barrier? The barrier was sin. What needed to be eliminated? Sin. What eliminates sin? Repentance. Now you might ask to yourself, say, well, pastor, isn't that a work of man? And I tell you emphatically, absolutely not. As a matter, of way, a matter of fact, a good way to think of repentance is this. Repentance is an outward manifestation of an inward act of God. You repent because God has convicted you because you now see yourself before a holy and righteous God. You see yourself as sinful. The Spirit of God opens your eyes to faith You repent and it is manifested outwardly. Something takes place inwardly that is manifested outwardly. That is repentance. And what has taken place inwardly is the justification and the sanctification of God that causes one to say, I am lost and I'm going to entrust myself completely and wholly to Jesus Christ. And listen, they were instructed to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Look at verse 40 again. Peter goes on. This wasn't the complete sermon. Imagine what the complete sermon must have looked like. Verse 40 says this, And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. I love the word exhorting. It's very common today for preachers to be great teachers. Right? Very, very common. They get up there, they have very eloquent words. And let me tell you, some people are really great at that. I'm not discounting that entirely. There is a need for good Bible teachers. Good Lord knows that. But many take the pulpit and they teach. Now, I personally believe, and I was raised in the school of this, that there is a profound difference between teaching and preaching. The goal of teaching is to disseminate information in an organized and orderly fashion so that the listener may learn. So if I'm a good teacher, I'm out there, I want to give you as much information. When we have Sunday school, I teach Sunday school. I don't preach Sunday school, I teach Sunday school. And I'm giving you information like I gave this morning, slowly, methodically, asking and receiving questions. That's great, by the way. When we sit and as men or we sit in small groups, we want to be able to, we want to be able to do that. But when I come to the pulpit, I preach. You say, well, what's the difference? There's one major difference. Preaching involves exhortation. What is exhortation? I'm begging. I'm pleading. I am exhorting you to do something with the information 
that is flowing from the pulpit. Every preacher that's worth his salt preaches for a response. And I preach that the Spirit of God may prick your hearts. Because as I'm up here, I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know any of that stuff. I may know you from talking certain circumstances. But by and large, when I'm up here, I'm exhorting you. And what am I exhorting you? Basically the same thing Peter is exhorting. Be saved from this perverse and wicked generation that we live. I want to impress upon you through the power of the Holy Spirit the necessity to live right before God, to be a follower of Christ, to love Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, to unlock your unlimited potential through the Holy Spirit to be a useful vessel for the kingdom of God. And that involves exhortation. If I saw one of my grandchildren running out in the street after church today, and I looked down and I saw cars coming, trust me, I wouldn't say, come on, get out of the, get out of the street. You know, it's really important you get out of the street. You, you see those cars coming, if they hit you, something bad's really going to happen. Not me. I go, get out of the street! Get over here! And would run myself if it meant their safety. And I stand in the pulpit. It's the same thing. I want you to lay hold of Christ. I want you to know God and to be known by God. I want you to experience the fullness and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. I want you to rejoice in the joy of your salvation. I want you to apprehend the Word of God and say, yes, God, you are alive. Listen, John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus Christ preached repentance in Luke 13.5, he said this, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Apostle Peter preached repentance in Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and return that your sins might be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance reflects true conversion. True conversion. The Puritans used to call it godly sorrow. When someone came to the knowledge of the truth of Christ and turned from their sin, they were broken. Any gospel that omits the need for repentance, it's not a true gospel. It's not a true gospel. 2 Timothy 2.24 and verse 25 read this. In the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. 
We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling on men and women to repent, to entrust themselves by faith to the finished work of Christ on the cross, and to be saved from sin and the judgment of God. So we see that the first truth is that the church is gospel proclaiming. The second truth is that the gospel calls for repentance. The third truth is the gospel proclaims truth, the truth. Look at John 8.24. John 8.24 John 8, it's funny, we were talking about this in Sunday school. It's a great chapter to read. But notice what Jesus says here in John 8, 24. I said to you, therefore, that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. And He proclaims the truth of His word that He is indeed the Savior of the world. John tells us as a result of that that many Jews came to believe in him. Verse 30 says. And in John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus comments to those who have believed. Jesus, therefore, he was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The gospel proclaims the truth about God. The gospel proclaims the truth about Christ and the way of salvation. And the church as well must proclaim this gospel. A gospel that proclaims the holiness of God, the impending judgment of God upon a disobedient and a wicked world, and something that we should take note of, it is not our truth, nor our interpretation of the truth, we proclaim, but we proclaim the very Word of God. In proclaiming the gospel, the church must declare truth even when it contradicts the ways and the norms and the culture of our world. And I want to share something with you. It always will. It will always contradict the world. Don't be looking for the Word of God to merge. You know, a lot of people do that when new things occur in our world, when new norms, new rules come into our world. People look for the Word of God. Say, how can I conform it with the Word of God? The Word of God is the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Christ is indeed the truth. And He is the truth when it comes to salvation. And no one, no one, no one has a right to change that. Nobody can come along and say, I'm going to change the Word of God. Nobody has a right to say, well, Jesus really didn't mean this. He really meant that. And go off on some extraneous tangent to say, this is what He really meant. The Word of God is truth. And as we saw last week, the Word of God is good for reproof, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. It is sufficient for all manners of life. 
And when the church refuses to speak the truth, and we fail to tell people that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, then the church loses the favor of God. Then we're no longer preaching a true gospel. We're, true, we're preaching a corrupted gospel. So the gospel proclaims truth. But there's a glorious aspect to this as well. The fourth truth. The gospel proclaims forgiveness of sin and new life. This glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, which declares God's righteousness and man's sinfulness, proclaims the most significant truth ever. That there is forgiveness of sins found only in Jesus Christ. This is a great God. A loving God who desires to forgive the sins of all who come in faith and repentance to Him. And this was told of old. In the Old Testament, Micah 7, verses 18 through 19. This is a great verse. Micah 7, verses 18 through 19. Listen to the words of the prophet. This verse specifically has been a real encouragement to me in my life. Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. And he will again have compassion on us. And he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all of their sins into the sea, into the depths of the sea. Reminds me of Exodus 34, 6. When Moses says, well, you know, I want to see you. And he proclaimed, the Lord, Lord, compassionate and gracious, abounding in loving kindness. But he didn't end it there. He goes on to say, who will not leave the guilty unpunished. But God's heart is not, God's, God's promise is not slack as some men count slackness, but is patient that all would come to repentance. And I want you to know something about that verse. That all would come to repentance. But God being all-knowing knows all will not come to repentance. People are already lost. People have already died in their sin. But it's the heart of God. The heart of God is that none should perish. The heart, even God says in the Old Testament, I don't take delight in the death of the wicked. I don't take delight in the death of wicked. But God's heart is that men and women would come to a place where they would turn from their sin and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And our God is never changing. He's immutable. And these truths proclaimed in the New Testament, we see the mercy of God and the grace of God. And listen, for those of us who have been impacted by that grace, those of us who know that we have been forgiven much because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we're never the same. We're never the same because of that grace. 
Listen, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You guys heard this. ain't the first time you're hearing this in this church. Those of us that have been impacted by that grace, we marvel at that grace. We're perplexed at times by that grace. Are we not? Do we not often think, why would God save me? Why did He save me? I was a piece of garbage. Why would God filthy himself and, 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 and get his hands dirty picking me up out of the gutter? We marvel at that grace. We're perplexed at that grace. And it doesn't matter what our past was. We could have been drug addicts. We could have been prostitutes. We could have been, you know, fornicators, adulterers. It does not matter. Con men, criminals, it does not matter when we have an encounter with the living God and when we fall on our face and we cry out, God, save me lest I die. It matters not who we were. For the Word of God is the same Word of God that says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All of the old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Do you praise God that everything has become new in your life? Or are you stuck in the same old abyss of sin? We marvel at that grace. The gospel of grace brings us to our knees. The gospel of grace brings us to a place of repentance and a place of adoration of the only one who could save us from those sins. Jesus Christ is Lord. A loving Savior who was brutalized for the forgiveness of sin. So what do we see? What do we see? We've seen that the church is gospel proclaiming. And in proclaiming the gospel, we've seen that the gospel calls for repentance. The gospel is truth. And the gospel proclaims a forgiveness of sin and a new life in Jesus Christ. We've seen that the church declares this gospel here on earth, that the church has a definite Mission, that we as believers have a definite mission. That we're to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as a result, that great call comes down to every faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Not optional. Not optional. How you do it varies. I know people who can go on a street corner, walk up to complete strangers and engage them in conversation. God bless them. I know people that won't even say a word in my house if they were invited there and it was just me and them. But you know what they have in common? Some people are not afraid to say, let me tell you what God has done in my life. Let me tell you the gospel. So then what, then, what then do we tell this world concerning the gospel? We tell the world that God is holy. A God who cannot intolerate sin and the impurity of sin. And that every human being is sinful. We inherited that sinful nature from our forefathers, Adam and Eve. And because they sinned, they corrupted the human race with sin. And we are sinners by nature. The problem that needs to be solved is sin. We tell the world that God is holy. 
And not only is He holy, He calls us to be holy as He is holy. We tell the world that God gave us a moral law that showed the character of God. And if you want to know what to be holy is, here it is. Here are those Ten Commandments. Those are God's standards. And the news is that each and every one of us has broken those standards. Thou shalt not lie. How many lies have you told? Thou shalt not steal. How many things have you stolen? Thou shalt not look on a woman with lust in your heart. How many times have you lusted in your heart after someone? Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. How many times have you blasphemed, by the way, used loosely the name of God? It doesn't just mean GD. It means when you go OMG. When you use trivially the name of God. That's called blaspheming. By the way, you've got to get 100 on the test. So the best you're at right now is a, a 60. And we're going downhill. And on Judgment Day, because of our violations of God's law, all of us deserve hell. All of us deserve hell. We are lawbreakers. That's what we are. We're lawbreakers before God. And we must pay God's penalty. And you know what that penalty is? Death. Physically and eternally. Separation from the presence of God. But there's great, great news. There's great news. The gospel is good news. And here's the good news. God had already provided someone to pay our penalty. It is Jesus Christ, the God-man, who came to earth from heaven in the form of man, lived a sinless life, and voluntarily offered his life as a ransom to all who would put their faith and trust in him. That is the great news. But you must repent and you must believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All who believe in Him and repent and turn from their sins and trust Him in His finished work on the cross would be saved from the penalty of death. God will wipe your record clean. And He will give you the righteousness of Christ. He will give you a new heart, new desires, a desire for holiness and righteousness, a burning desire for Christ and God, and a desire to share this gospel with others. We declare that upon receiving this Christ, you will be made right before God and have eternal life. And let me tell you, eternal life doesn't mean life perpetually eternal life is life eternal in the presence of god but you must trust him with all of your heart all of your soul all of your mind and all of your strength 
And the encouragement is don't put this off. Grab a Bible and study it daily. And obey what the Word of God tells you. And the question for many is, what are you waiting for? Is there better news out there? Not by a long shot. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, my friends, is sinking sand. Will you consider Christ today? Let's pray.